All right. Well, we are starting a new sermon series, uh, and it's going to go for a while. Uh, I don't know how long, actually. We'll find out. Uh, but don't worry, it won't be overly repetitive. But it's going to center on something that, like a question that keeps troubling me. And so uh, I'm going to trouble you with it, I guess. Maybe you can help me. So the question that troubles me is something like, why doesn't the Christian faith make more of a difference in people's lives in the world? Why can a person go to church every Sunday and read their Bible and have the right beliefs and wake up every day unhappy and not even be that great of a human? How is it that I can preach and like read and desperately want God to shape me and form me and yet when I talk to lots of other Christians we disagree on almost everything and yet they read and pray and love too how can that be like shouldn't believing in God and reading your Bible and coming to church and being part of a community shouldn't that ensure that other people that do the same thing that there would be like points of connection like there would be similarities in our values in our lives, but that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, I would argue that if I, I've said this before, if I got on a plane and I sat down and someone came and sat next to me and I didn't know them and they said they were Christian, my immediate thought is not usually, oh my gosh, we'll have so much in common. I usually think to myself, I'm just going to like read my book because I don't want to get caught up in like theology or politics or denominational stuff. Or any, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. How... That, this troubles me deeply. I'm not going to answer all of I mean, if I could answer it, I would be one sermon. <laughs> I'm going to do a whole series exploring uh, this question. And what I'm really wanting to get at is something like, why is the church here? Like, why do we get together every week? Why do we try to establish this community at all? Like, what... If we don't make a difference in the lives of the people that come here, in the lives of the people of the communities we're part of, then what are we really doing? What is this supposed to be about? So like literally getting down to the core questions about Christian identity, the purpose of the church generally, right? The nerdy way of saying it is like ecclesiology, like, right, like the theology of the church and why it exists. So that's what we're going to talk about. And this is the way I'm going to structure it. I'm going to structure it by talking about cultural liturgies and religious liturgies. And that, I'm sorry, you, you, just, you have an academic for a pastor. I'm going to define what I mean by liturgy so you're going to know exactly what I mean. They're all around us all the time. And I want to contrast like Christian liturgy from the cultural liturgies that surround us all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, it will if it doesn't yet. So a book I'm using that I would suggest if you're looking for something to read it's called Desiring the Kingdom. Saul, do you have it? Desiring the Kingdom by James Smith, um, which is weird. He's one of the authors I've actually gotten to meet and know everyone calls him Jamie, but his author name is James Smith. He is a, a wonderful human being. So not only is he a good author, but I know him as a, as a man, uh, some as a father. So Desiring the Kingdom is a book trying to figure out how to be Christian in a world that makes that really hard. 
uh, without making an enemy of the world, right? Like, how can we do this without creating these walls and these dichotomies about, like, sac- like the sacred versus the secular, and we draw a wall? But, like, how do you have, like, a holistic view that allows me to be a human being operating in a world and also trying to be Christian, right? So I'm going to use the word liturgy a lot, but I'm also going to use synonyms. I'm going to use things like ritual. I'm going to use things like practices, habits, right? So here are some defining terms for you. So liturgies are formative practices and habits that shape our hearts, our desires, our attitudes, and our beliefs, right? I want you to look at that list, right? Habits and rituals that shape our hearts, our minds, our desires, like they shape all aspects of us, right? Liturgies, oh, go back, Saul. No, it's okay. Liturgies help human communities create meaning, purpose, values, a shared sense of identity. The practices and the habits we engage in shape us as individuals, but they shape communities, right? This is like a communal endeavor. What you surround yourself with will shape you. It will, it will set your expectations. It will set your desires. It will shape your beliefs, right? This is why parents care deeply about schools, because we know if my kid is there for eight hours, the practices of that school, the rituals of the school, the way, the, the habits that the school instills will shape my kids' thoughts, their knowledge, but also their behavior, their morality, their identity, their beliefs. We know that's true. We know the home does this, right? And at its best, the church does this. I would argue one of the main reasons we exist is to engage in liturgy, practice, habit that shapes us, molds us into the likeness of Christ. Shapes and molds not only our thoughts, but like our guts, our desires, the things we want and expect. I would suggest this is why we're here. Not the only reason, one big reason why we're here. Why the church exists at all, right? The next slide, Saul. Liturgies help answer our most fundamental questions. Whether you know it or not, you're getting answers from liturgy, right? Who am I? What, what, right? Like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What should I strive for? How do I live a good life as a good person? What are my moral responsibilities? What should I spend my time doing? These, like, fundamental human questions, you are getting answers to those questions all the time, all the time, all the time, subliminally, directly, based on what you put into your life, what you surround yourself with. The church and the the liturgies of the church are trying to answer these questions for us too, but they're answering them very differently. Like, who am I? Christianity tries to help us answer that question. What am I supposed to do? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What are my moral values? How to be a good person? How to live a good life? Christianity paints a vision of that and hopefully if we engage in this enough it will shape us so we don't have to fight ourselves constantly right it becomes more natural to do this something though that you you may not agree but i hope you agree i the church spend too much time talking to your head my students and you i'm trying to give you the right beliefs i want you to think well 
Christianity becomes this a lot, right? Think the right kinds of things. Desiring the kingdom, the book I shared, his argument is we've gotten human nature wrong. Humans are not driven to act by what you think predominantly. You are driven to act by what you desire, by what you want, by what you love. So he says, his claim is you are what you love. But that means I have to do a better job of tapping into your gut, your heart, your emotion, your desire. That's what causes you to live a certain way in the world. That's what causes you to see yourself in particular ways. It's not just thoughts. In fact, I would say it's less that. And I'm going to give an example. So I, I would like to live a unified life, a life where my core values show up in where I spend my money, in where I spend my time, in, in like my relationships. But that doesn't happen. I live a disjointed life, a fractured life. And I could give you a hundred examples of where my time and my money and my relationships do not mirror what I know or espouse to be the case, right? So that means I'm not shaped or formed the way I want to be. <laughs> I've been shaped and formed by multiple things. Yes, the church partly, but also all this other stuff. And it got, it's getting into me the place where I, I have this disjointed life, like the environment. So like I care deeply about creation care. I believe that God created the universe. I believe that it's a gift to all of us, that this gift should be tended. We have responsibility as humans to care for things and not destroy them. It's not just here for us to run wild, make a profit, make our lives more convenient, right? I believe that in my head. I say we should care for the thing that God gave us. But I live in a world that's fast-paced, where convenience dominates, where I've got too many things going on in my world. And so if you watch my practices, I don't care about creation. I just don't. Because what I really want is to get that plastic bag and the sandwich inside of it and my kid out the door to get to school or whatever. Who can separate glass from plastic, hard plastic? Who can do it? Some people can people that actually are driven by a deep desire to do it. I have one set of thoughts and a separate set of desires. Do you see that? So instead of a unified life, Joe Bankert has a fractured life. <clears throat> I want to participate in Christian liturgies, rituals, habits that can shape me so that I'm living more unified and less fractured. That's one example of a hundred I could give just with me. But that's how you can have a bunch of Christians who come to church and pray and are pastors who don't really look that much like Jesus or who don't, can't agree with one another because we don't think about Christianity as formation. We think of it as a set of beliefs we hold. And I want us to think about Christianity as predominantly formation. Marketers have gotten this way easier than we have. Marketers forever have known humans are driven by desire and what they love and not their thoughts, right? I mean, literally, you'll watch a I'll watch a commercial and it won't even make sense. I'm like, I don't even know what product they're pumping. Like, I'm confused by the whole thing. And then it'll be like, uh, oh, honey, I'm going to go get some Wheaties. I don't even know why. I'm going to go buy them, right? And like, somehow they got into my guts, right? They got into my heart and my desires and I'm buying the product even though the commercial was confusing to me. Marketers understand the power, right, of getting into your... I, I picture, like, the liturgy of Maybelline or of cosmetics. 
You don't think there's, but there's a set of practices and rituals, values and identity given, right? Most, and, and women are affected way more by this than men, this pressure, a set of expectations to look a certain way, right? Many, pe- many women have a routine, a, a habit, a ritual of getting their makeup on, of what products they use, of how to do it, right? And the values are beauty, youth, vibrancy, forever. <laughs> never get old, never die, never. Your value, your worth, your identity is in how you look. I mean, they're giving you values and identity, all that stuff. It's a liturgy in our world, and we've bought into it. And our head says, my value is not in how I look. My head says, I don't need all the makeup or the clothes. I don't need to do that. My head says, it's a, but my, feel, my insecurity says, my emotions say, my desires say, no, 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 I need it. I need it. And so we live a disjointed life where our head says that one thing, we espouse a certain set of values, but my desires and my anxieties and my beliefs push me a different way. So we're going to do a series where we're going to try to see if we can unify, right? We can come together. And Christianity gives us wonderful liturgies. Every Sunday worship, we say thank you and we practice gratitude and we say help us and we pray together and we, call, we, we worship God in song and we open scripture and we read and you hope that that shapes us. But I want to go beyond that. I want us to think about embodied practices, embodied rituals like communion as formative, but it's formative if we think of it that way. Baptism as an embodied ritual, tithing giving, like practicing generosity as an embodied ritual, right? Confession, not inappropriate, appropriate confession as an embodied ritual that shapes humility and forgiveness and reconciliation. That fasting might become an embodied ritual. Prayer, opening our, our Bibles, meeting together in homes, laughing with one another, that these begin to shape us to make us whole people, unified people, not disjointed people. Does that, is this making sense, how this will play out? Okay. So today, I thought, well, what better way than to just describe Advent versus Christmas, right? So you got the... I'm going to make one thing clear. I'm not here to bash those of you that love Christmas because I guarantee no one loves Christmas more than me. So I'm not here to be like, Christmas is the worst. Buying stuff makes you a bad person. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I, here's what I am going to do. I am going to challenge myself in front of you to try to make this season next year a little more meaningful, a little more Advent, a little less Christmas. That doesn't mean I'm not going to buy people stuff. I love buying people stuff, right? For many of you, that's like a love language. There's nothing wrong with that. How do we add, though, right? How do we begin to shift the way we think of it, right, and the values we are shaped by. Because I can tell you, I'm shaped way more by Christmas than Advent. When I say Christmas, here's what I mean. I mean Rudolph. I mean Christmas trees. I mean decorations. I mean food. Ooh, lots and lots of food. I mean Santa. I mean elves. I mean, right, that's Christmas. Advent is like Jesus' birth. Advent are the, is the wreath. It's the core values we try to talk about, right? But I... I'm a finite person. I have to decide how much time I'm going to spend on one versus the other. How much energy in my family will I spend on one versus another, right? I can't do it all. I can't do both. And, and in my life, Christmas wins. 
I love it. I love everything about it. I love decorating my house. I love being sparky on the roof. I love, you know, listening to the Christmas carols on Alexa. I love doing all of it. I mean, Kel is a wizard. We do, we do, we, we call it um, uh, the Christmas calendar countdown. And she has a calendar and every day has a post-it note over the day. And our kids tear it off every day. And it'll be like, tonight we're going to have hot chocolate bar. So they're like, yay. And then she, she puts out like toppings, like whipped cream and sprinkles or like candy canes. And we do hot chocolate bar. And then the next day they peel it off. And it's like, we're going to watch the Grints and have popcorn. And like every day there's like a Christmas countdown. And it's awesome. There's nothing wrong. With, like I'm, I don't, I'm not going to apologize. It brings our family close together. It's great. But it's so out of balance. It's so out of whack compared to like what I espouse to be the most important part of the season that it's like I should feel convicted. I don't have to feel terrible. I don't have to like whip myself. I have to stop for a minute and say, what could I do to make this a little bit more about Advent in my home and a little bit less about presence? Because you know what happens? You know what liturgies do? They shape expectation. Do you want to know the expectation that's been put on me by culture? If you're a good parent, you have to give your kids a magical Christmas. That's your job. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm supposed to do. If, you, if I'm a good dad and I love my kids, every year you better give your kids a magical Christmas. And I feel it. Why? Well, how about a meaningful Christmas? Mm -hmm. How about a thoughtful Christmas? How about one where we connect, serve, give? Mm. But that's not what I'm told, right? And because I've bought into that, I've created the, the practices of our house Sullivan, 13 Christmases worth, I've set his expectation of what Christmas is about. What, right? So he, now his desires, his expectations, what he thinks it's... So like if all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, maybe you'll get one present this year and we'll do the rest. He'd be like, what? But if, I, if that had been the expectation all along, he'd be fine with it. You go to places, people in other countries, their, their expectations are totally different. Their practices are totally different. The, the thing that they surround themselves with is totally different, Right? What you surround yourself with shapes your desires, your wants, your emotions, your anxieties. So I am not going to stop Christmas calendar countdown. I love it. I look forward to it more than the kids. <laughs> I'm like, what are we going to do today, Kel? Uh, but we're going to add stuff when we peel it off. And it's going to be like stuff at Collister, soup kitchen, uh, writing a note to someone, Drawing a picture, thank you, Ramona, to, for someone. How can we make other people's lives better? Because we connect as a family all the time. I'm grateful for that. But I feel like Advent gets the short end of the stick all the time. So let's reclaim it, right? I, I get a say in this. I get to decide. I'm not going to lose the joy, but I want to add some meaning. We're going to watch a video. Uh... A little heavy-handed, but I like it. It's a movement of the church. It's been happening for about a decade. It's called Advent Conspiracy. Has anybody heard of Advent Conspiracy? So essentially, they challenge Christians in just the way I am. Like, let's, 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 let's recapture Advent. Let's lose some of Christmas. And they will, they will, like, challenge churches to give to a particular cause. Like, one year it was, like, water wells in Africa. So instead of spending money on all the other stuff, give less gifts and use your money here, right? To help people get, and every year it shifts. And next year, 
uh, Collister will most likely participate, right? We'll, we'll try to think about how do we have an Advent conspiracy where we, we have a different liturgy from the one that we're surrounded by. But I think the video is powerful enough to show, and I hope you enjoy it.